This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. Today is July 29th. The website is always bestfriends.org slash podcast. The email is always podcast at bestfriends.org. It is an incredibly busy time right now for all of you. A lot of shelters and rescues are at capacity. There are issues hiring, keeping staff. I hate to be just someone else asking you for something right now, but we want to hear from you. What are you going through right now? What issues are you struggling with? Maybe you've got some things you've done to get through this time. And if they're good ideas, we of course want to share them with everyone else. It's always about making sure that the podcast is relevant to you. So let us know, podcast at bestfriends.org. Over the course of several different episodes over the last year, we've talked about communities that have been largely ignored by the animal welfare movement. Communities that are predominantly people of color, for example, urban areas. And while things are changing, there are still far too many underserved pet owners. Take those folks who are on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale. They're often ignored, not given the support they need to be successful pet owners. Because, unfortunately, a lot of people in this field think they shouldn't even have pets to begin with. And we've talked about the challenges that are faced in rural areas for those underserved communities. It's very often a lack of services of any kind for pets. Need a vet? Get in a car for two hours. But that lack of services doesn't end with pets. Oftentimes, people don't have what they need either. The logistics, the costs, so many obstacles to reach those folks who need and want help badly. Well, this episode is about a group of pet owners who live in a very remote area. And they are also pet owners who, as an entire people, have been persecuted, oppressed. I don't know the words. Like I don't have the vocabulary that could ever accurately and fairly describe the plight and continued marginalization of American Indians, indigenous peoples. It's going back more than 600 years. Today on tribal lands across America, there are families who are facing issues that sound more like something you'd hear happening in remote parts of the developing world. No water, sanitation, electricity. Now, out west, the Navajo Nation struggles with these same issues. More than a third of the people in that community have incomes below the federal poverty level. It's larger than West Virginia. It's larger than 10 states, actually. So that area alone, where it is, the scale, the harshness of the desert environment, it makes helping people and pets there particularly challenging. For the most part, I think people are welcoming because we're bringing services that they want, but not everyone. And, you know, like with animal control, they don't know me. They don't know best friends. We definitely have to build relationships, have to show that we're trustworthy, that we're not trying to come in and tell them what they should do. That's Michelle Weaver with Best Friends. She's leading a program that is working to support the people and pets of the Navajo Nation. You know, but often my approach is just asking a lot of questions like, hey, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to understand this and just kind of listening. We'll hear more from Michelle on the program's ins and outs and goals and talk about how you can help a little bit later. I am Keith Slim Totagai and I'm the Navajo Nation Program Specialist with Best Friends. So I grew up in Pinyon. I'm from here. 
I went to school in Chinle, which is about 45 miles from here, maybe 50. I've always, always growing up, cared for animals. At one point, I probably had like six dogs and probably five cats. We always talk about how people accumulate animals and that's, you know, people just throw puppies on the long side of the road and they come to your homestead and, and then you just start to feed them. And that's how I had some of the dogs that came into our yard and I just started to feed them and they became my pets. I've been with Best Friends a very short time. I started in February. But since then, it's been, I'm not going to say challenging. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. I made connections with the animal control. I've established a rapport, um, letting them know that I can be there to save these animals. Just let me know. Keith, I've lived out West and I've driven through the Navajo Nation a few times, I think. But my knowledge of the Navajo, of the culture of the area, honestly, it's pretty thin. So can you help me understand more about the Navajo Nation? So... The reservation is the Navajo Nation. It's probably the, as big as West Virginia. It's a big, big piece of um, land, I guess you'd say. And even though we call ourselves the net, I think a lot of, we differ even in speech, even in talk. We have different dialects. But I think we all, in some sense, are the people. It may be different, but we, 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 I think the core of everything is always the, the same. That's who we are on the reservation or the Navajo Nation. There's like about 110 communities or called chapters. Some of them are remote. Some are still really, really in need of a lot of resources. Um, it's a big area. It's a big area. So you said the number of different communities, chapters, communities within that, 110? Uh, yes, 100. Yeah, 110. I, I think that's really helpful because a lot of people probably don't realize that the Navajo Nation has all of those individual cultures and dialects and the different communities, leadership within those communities, the variance of services available to each, you know, a bowling alley here and nothing over here. Yeah. It's just incredibly complex. Yes. Yes, it is. And then within the different, all this big piece of land, there's only probably four operating animal shelters. And I want to say probably about seven officers that go out into the field. There's the, the kennel officer and then there's the field officers. And it's a big, big responsibility, I think. And so that's where we're at right now. So we'll get into the animal situation on the reservation. But when we talk about helping pets and their people, I think we do all need to know the overall picture. I mean, what is happening in the community? What is that community like? And in this case, you know, the overall picture in, in the communities uh, aren't great. Uh, you know, we're talking about systemic issues, right? Lack of health care, lack of education. I mean, I think I'm even correct, Keith, in saying there are people that don't have water, don't have electricity. Yes. So I grew up not having running water or electricity for a long, long time. I think I was probably, I'm going to say maybe 14 when we finally had um, electricity in our house. But we still had no plumbing until I was probably off to college. So I'm going to say for 21 years of my life, there's no electricity or running water. And it's still the same with a lot of our community members. Uh, people still have to come to the chapter house where the resources to get water for drinking, for washing. And so they do that almost on a, well, not almost, but they have to do that on a weekly basis. But uh, since the pandemic, you know, a lot of people had to kind of be cautious. And now, you know, because of the restrictions, we, we've been restricted to how many, how much gallons we can, 
you know, people can get because of the drought. So there's all these things coming, kind of piling on, on top of everything else. And so it kind of gets a, a little frustrating, I think, for a lot of people, especially when you don't have the, you know, the basics. Where we at the 21st, 22nd, 21st century, you should be having running water and electricity, but a lot of us don't. Hey, there's a really bad connection, I think, man. And you're lagging quite a bit. I, I can edit those out later, but... I just want to apologize now because I'm sure I'm going to end up like interrupting you and stepping on you. Yeah, that's the other challenge. <laughs> Reliable internet? Yes. <laughs> so, especially during, since when the pandemic hit, our kids were uh, had to stay home. And so internet was one of the things that was needed. And we had people who had to go up on top of a hill to get the better connection to, to do schoolwork and so forth. And so... It, it, it's, it's always a challenge. A few months ago, I was reading something about the pandemic and the, the effect it's had on underserved communities. Detroit, here in Michigan, where I am, uh, they were hit very hard by COVID. And a lot of it came down, I think, to just basic preventative health care, the lack of that kind of health care for generations. So, you know, these folks are going into the pandemic with serious health issues, obesity, diabetes, things that are preventable, but had not been taken care of because there just isn't the healthcare. So you have just this horrible combination of factors. You know, I think it's a life that most Americans, many listening to this, myself included, just cannot wrap my head. I can't wrap my head around it. Well, let's talk about the animals, Keith. What does exist for them in terms of resources uh, within the Navajo Nation? You said four animal shelters, I think seven animal control officers. How does that work? And you know what else is available for pet owners out there on a consistent basis? So we do have some vet clinics, but I know that we don't have enough um, vet. There's one, she has to go in between three communities, Shiprock, Chinle, and Sabanito. And so she'll be there on certain days. And then we do have another one in Tuba City, which is on the Western region. You know, so it gets overwhelming even before. And I think even since the pandemic, they have to make an appointment to vaccinate, to get spay or neuter your your dogs, or even just to come in. And, and, you know, if your dog needs to be seen by a vet, then, you know, you have to uh, make an appointment, you know, and then the appointments are already stacked up. And, you know, they'll tell you, well, the only time I have for you is maybe next month, but you want to get seen. right away right and so that that becomes a hindrance and then if you go outside the reservation to the border towns then it gets expensive and then the distance we do have some people who don't have transportation so that becomes another issue so when you when we see spay and neuter clinics and and vaccination clinics come up um, on the weekends we see a lot of people come to me that tells me that most of the community members do care They care about their animals. They care about their pets. But I know that we're overwhelmed. We do have some animals that are some strays that that gang up, I guess you'd say, that become packs. And we need to get that resolved. We do have some community members that get a stray coming into their homestead. And then they start to care for them. And then that stray may already be pregnant. And all of a sudden they have like 10 more puppies, 10 more animals that they have to care for on top of the four that they may have. And now it's getting bigger and bigger. And so they're reaching out to the different rescues or they take them to the animal control. Most people do try to be responsible, but I think it's just the resources are sometimes not all 
readily available. Well, I'd like to think that someday we'll get to a point where we don't have to say this, but we are not there yet. So no matter how much money someone has, what their race is, what access to services they have or don't have, people love their pets. And we know the only solution is to help them be the best pet owner they can be. We can't mandate who should or shouldn't own pets. We can't go out and round up own pets and expect those same people not to ne- you know, get another animal. We should always be trying to preserve the human animal bond, period. So on the whole, fair to say then, the issues you see, again, on the whole, not neglect or lack of caring, just the inability to break through the barriers that are stopping them from getting help so given that, what's the reception from people like Keith? I mean, are you welcomed out there? Are they happy to see you? Yes, I think once you make people aware of um, of your purpose, you know, of who you are, that I'm here for your pets, <laughs> and, and 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 then just being respectful. Um, that's one of the things I try to do is being as respectful as possible with my own people, my own community members, and and even even with other people, with you know whatever whoever you make partnerships with, and just being really respectful. The reception from from people has been the majority have been pretty positive, and then just letting them know really from the beginning beginning from the get go that it's going to take some time. I can't make things better um, right away. I can try to do whatever I can, and it's going to take at least two weeks. It's going to take at least a month before I can make things better for your pets. So, and I know that sometimes um, it it's it can get overwhelming. Maybe the other person might be at a different from a different location and say, "Okay, well, I, I I can go there, but it's going to take me two hours to get there." And so that, that that's what I'm doing right now, just taking these steps and um, trying to, I guess, take it, not taking the big saying, thinking like, because if I think I have to do all this, then it gets overwhelming. But coming back and saying, okay, I can do what I can here in Pinyon. I can do what I can in Gap. I can do what I can in Kayenta. And who can I reach out to? Because I know that I can't do it alone. There is a stray dog problem on the reservation. I saw a story recently about someone being attacked, actually, by a free-roaming dog. Terrible, uh, terribly sad story. So that's really just a reflection of the problems that occur when you're not getting those resources where they need to be. It's so tragic because we know what we need to do to stop that, but we just can't get it out there fast enough. Sometimes, you know, some some community members who who just don't have the patience and then they just take the dogs, even though I tell them, hey, I'll be there in a day. Let me let me look, find, find space for them. I'll vaccinate. And then you realize that when you come to the location, it's like, oh, we took them. We took them someplace and we just dumped them alongside the road. It's like, why did you do that? I told you I wasn't come. I told you I wasn't come. And then, you know, you rush to that location and there's no no puppies. And you you just hope that they wandered into a homestead. You just hope that somebody picked them up. That's not always the case. There's just that one community member who just doesn't have the patience and just kind of frustrated perhaps and you just have to respect even though you may not agree with what they did uh, respect their situation don't be judgmental just say okay well step back take a breather and just be hopeful that the dogs the puppies uh, found places to be and then you know you see these puppies that are abandoned at the windmill or alongside the road and just pick them up and find places for them so 
that's what I do. It's a life I cannot even begin to understand, Keith. You know, the level of desperation people must feel. And I, I absolutely cannot judge because I thankfully have never been in a situation where I've had to stop and say, I have this much money. I have, you know, these bills, these mouths to feed, but those mouths just doubled because a stray dog that I just took into my family because she wandered up on my homestead had puppies that I didn't want. I would have happily got the dog spayed, but I, there's no way for me to, to access that service. So I hope when people hear stories like this, whether it's the Navajo Nation or anywhere else, that type of desperation, unfortunately, isn't unique to that area. But I hope people will stop, step outside of themselves, try to have compassion and realize how awful a decision like that must be. As I said earlier, you know, we can't round them up and outlaw pet ownership. So we just have to figure out how to help. If you're willing to help any of the native nations, yes, help, but don't be just mental because, you know, it could be that the, the, they're doing the best they can. We're doing the best we can. And, um, you know, even, even with me, sometimes um, I get a little, angry but then i realize hey you know this 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 is probably the best thing that they can do for now you just don't know people's um situations and just be respectful of that and so that's what i do you know i i get i get mad i get a little annoyed but then i'm all like okay well you know just calm down keith because you don't know the situation you just don't know take a little breather and then just start again what else do you want people to know keith i think just um Res dogs are the best dogs. <laughs> the midday sun beats mercilessly upon the Navajo Nation dump in Gap, Arizona. Dogtown's team searches the tire pile for signs of life. It's a race against time. Michelle Weaver is the Director of Sanctuary Outreach and Animal Engagement for Best Friends. You may recognize her name and her voice, as she was one of the staff featured prominently in the National Geographic television program Dogtown. Like many reservation dogs, this one's likely a mix of a few breeds. The series, which premiered in the late aughts, profiled the work Best Friends does at the Sanctuary in Southern Utah. I am biased, of course, but if you haven't seen it, you really should check it out because I think you'll like it a lot. For a number of years, Best Friends has supported the Navajo people, and a couple of episodes of Dogtown focused on life-saving happening on the reservation. Before departing this unforgiving landscape, the team leaves food and water for any other animals in need. Michelle, tell me about the Navajo Nation work. What's the problem? And what's happening to address uh, the, that problem? Yeah, I mean, I think some of our biggest challenges, like the challenge with the animals themselves, like what we see within the community, what animal control responds to, isn't so different than what we see across the country. I think what makes things a little bit more challenging is there haven't been as many resources for things like spay, neuter, and wellness as we've seen, you know, across the country. So, you know, where maybe other shelters might be seeing you know, large populations of kittens coming in in the spring and summer, we see large populations of puppies. A lot of folks don't, you know, there's a lot of free roaming dogs, um, both owned and stray. So 
Um, just not a lot of fenced in yards, which means that with the lack of resources or the limited resources, I should say, it's like this never ending cycle, right? There's, there's just so many animals. And then I think the vastness, right? It, like there's a lot of rural areas. And so the Navajo Nation is huge and it's not easy to access everywhere. There, there are communities that are more populated, but there's also homesteads that are just kind of way off the grid and hard to get to. You know, so I think those all add to the challenges. And then because there's not a lot of resources for things like vaccinations, we do see a high rate of parvo and distemper from both in the community and coming through the shelter. And so, you know, those are some of the big challenges we face. And, and even when we're looking for rescue groups to be able to help us take animals, there's a little bit of a hesitancy sometimes because the animals could get sick. And so I think those are some of our bigger challenges, but it can be really heartbreaking, right? Because it's not that the community members don't want those services. They very much do. We have a huge wait list for people who want spay neuter and we have people waiting in line to get those vaccinations. So the community wants these services. We just need to get more of the services out to the community. We need to work with animal control to help them find more resources for the animals coming into their facilities and help them find ways to keep those animals healthy, you know, while waiting for those groups that can help. One of the things we're focusing on is working with the animal control program within the Navajo Nation to um, increase their life saving, to really help them to look at their programming and, and, and to be as effective as possible. Um, and, and that's much like we do across the country. We're also looking at how we can engage the community and really um, share more information with them, get the community much more involved. Clearly those animals going into the shelters are from the community and we want them to be part of um, the solution to reduce the numbers going in and of course, increase the numbers that are having positive outcomes. Rescue organizations have been helping animals on the Navajo Nation for a long time now, including best friends. Don't need to tell you that Dogtown talked about these issues uh, on the show, and that's 12, 13 years ago. What is happening now versus what was happening then? Are we doing more or less the same, or has it changed? Um, I, I would say even though we've been doing work in the Navajo Nation for many years, it, it has really just been supporting on occasion, jumping in and doing a, a clinic, um, supporting other rescues um, that work within the Navajo Nation. But I think what's changed, particularly with this goal of getting to no-kill by 2025, is that we're putting more focus, more resources into the community and really, you know, getting in there, working alongside animal control to figure out how we can help more and, and just being I think more dedicated to the community itself. So just putting a little bit more resource there. So it's a huge effort. I mean, even if the nation was a 10th of that size, it would still be, and I need to grab the thesaurus, I think, because I keep wanting to use the same word to describe it, which is Herculean. I mean, it's a Herculean task has to be overwhelming when you're combining a situation for animals like that, and then adding in the challenges for the the people, the environment, the weather, the the driving, I mean, all of it, I mean, it, it is such a huge problem with so many different people and places. I mean, 
How do you even approach that? What does a day look like? What does a week look like? Uh, for for folks that are doing this work, yeah, I mean, I think on the on the daily, Keith does a lot of the work, right? He's really connecting with animal control, working with other rescues to find placement, doing you know transporting animals to other um, locations where they can be adopted, and then uh, as maybe a bigger picture, we're you know really working on looking at ways to engage the community, looking at ways to connect with the administration there, making sure there's some awareness about what's happening within the community. We're also connecting with other rescue groups and spay-neuter groups that are doing work within the Navajo Nation or supporting animals from the Navajo Nation and, and really trying to you know, connect with each other and look for ways that we can together be more impactful. In collaboration with another group called the Parker Project, we're doing monthly spay-neuter vaccination clinics, and those are in different communities throughout the Navajo Nation. The Parker Project basically is out weekly, but we're sponsoring a clinic once a month. On other episodes of the podcast, we've covered topics that get into uh, this type of work happening in underserved communities. And the question that always hits me is where does or where should our responsibility as animal rescuers begin and end? What do I mean by that? So we're talking about communities that are dealing with systemic issues that have plagued them for generations, whether it's healthcare, lack of healthcare, lack of education, housing issues, criminal justice system, you know, which certainly loves to devour people from communities that have been affected by those things. It, it, you have this cycle that is just very, very hard to break. So we go in to help the animals we can, which is great. And I'm not suggesting we don't do that. But the issues exist that put the community and the animals in that bad place are still there. They haven't gone away. And you could probably argue they're worse than ever again, where's our responsibility with some of these kind of larger issues? I just wonder how we're ever going to get to a tipping point where the community is safe and healthy and in a place to not need the kind of support that we have to give them today. Yeah. You know, I, I think you bring up a good point and we, and we recognize that this is one thing amongst many things that people are dealing with um, on a daily basis. It's not just, you know, to make the pets healthier. It, it is also thinking about the, the people. I mean, I think about folks that have, you know, are having all these litters and, and the stress that comes with trying to care for them. If you have limited um, resources, it's like, do, do I feed myself and my kids? Do I feed my, the, the, these two litters of puppies I just had? Having to balance all of that, we would like, we would like folks to be in a place where they've are comfortable being able to, you know, have the pets that they want to have, have them taken care of in the way that they want. I, I do think partnering with some other like health services is something that we're looking at because a lot of times we'll get calls from say home health care workers who are going out to these kind of remote locations. They're, they're working with the people and then they recognize that they need help with their animals and they're reaching out to us for that help. So, you know, I do think it's going to be important for us 
as we continue moving forward to really work with these other structures that are in place so that it's it's part of improving the life for everyone, the people, the pets, the, the just being able to, you know, help the community in the ways that they feel like they need help. Well, to be clear, that question is not at all meant to criticize best friends or anyone else to suggest we're not doing enough or we're doing it wrong. I want to be positive because I totally agree with you and what you just said there, that if we can help them with this one thing, that gives them that breathing room to focus on the myriad other things they're facing that day, that week. But I have to imagine that it is difficult to go in and see all of those things, Michelle. I mean, it's like third world conditions in some cases. I think for me, the the challenging part is is that I because that I want to do more that I want to be able to provide all the services that everyone needs and and I recognize I can't do that alone we're we're to your point I think you know for me it's just one step at a time we've got to start somewhere we we're we're going to do our best to help as many as we can but again I think that for me one of the challenges is you know when I see someone who does care deeply about their pets and they aren't able to access those services and and they're very upset and they can be very emotional and and they just want someone to to share information with them and tell them how to handle it and what can they do and you know and and we do our best to 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 share with them resources that they maybe can access or things that they could do at home but, you know, it never feels like enough. It feels like, wow, I wish I could just pick up their pets and take them to the vet and get them all treated and bring them back. But, you know, that's not the reality. So we just we do our best to help people find the resources, help give them the resources when we can. Sometimes just listening to them and letting them know someone does care and that we're trying to help them, I think, does make a difference when we do the spay neuter clinics and the, and the vaccination clinics over and over again, people say, thank you for bringing these services to the community. You know, they, they appreciate what we're doing. They really understand the need of it. And they share with us that, that that is something that they're grateful for. So, you know, I think you look at those pieces and go, well, while we can't tackle the whole thing today and fix it, you know, we take one step at a time to try to, to, try to make things better. So you've been doing this work for a minute at Best Friends for more than 20 years now, I think. So you've done a lot, you've seen a lot. How do you go out there, experience the things you do, whether it's the Navajo Nation or anywhere else, and not just lose it? Well, you know, I, I think for me, the way I cope with some of the challenging things I see is to really try to focus on where I was able to help, um, focus on those positives, like how caring the community is, you know, I can get frustrated with people and not understand where they're coming from or how a pet can, you know, not get the services they need. Coming into this role and coming into this community, you know, I really wanted to come in with an open mind and better understand the culture because I know that this is not my community. You know, they have different belief systems. They have different experiences than I have. And so I try to be really respectful of that and really just focus on the things that I can do to help really try to focus on the the community members that I've met that are just lovely and and want to do what's needed for their pets. Um, I've met so many people that 
are rescuing animals and, and helping. I try to focus on that. And it's not that I don't lose it occasionally because I do. Sometimes I just have to have a good cry and, um, you know, just let it out and be sad because I couldn't, you know, maybe save that, that puppy or, you know, pull as many dogs from the shelter as I wanted. You know, I just have to focus on the things that, that we can do and really look at where we are helping and, you know, the amazing people I'm meeting and working with and just hold on to that. For any of us that work in the animal welfare world, it can be super hard. We see super sad things. And, you know, for me, it's just kind of acknowledging that and then trying to spend most of my time focusing on the things that are going well and the animals I am able to help. So we know the importance of data, tracking the work, so we know what's working and what's not. So specifically with the Navajo Nation, what do we have in terms of data? And if we have good data, what is it telling us? Yeah, so so yes, um, Best Friends really does love data because it, it tells us where to focus our programming, right? Are we making progress? Um, that has been an area that's been challenging for us because um, the last data set we had from the Navajo Nation was 2016, so very old data. And there has not been a comfort um, for them to share data with us or other groups. And, you know, I think there's a, many reasons for that, but very frustrating on our end because, of course, we want that data so that we can help. For us, really, we're just looking at the needs in front of us for now, part of what we're working towards is, is developing those relationships to get that information so that we can then better come up with a strategy um, going forward. Of course, our goal would be to help animal control get to no kill by 2025, just like the rest of the country. Right now, we have kind of a guesstimate of what that looks like, but it, but until we start seeing that information coming in, you know, we're, we're really just basing it off of what we can see, right? Like what we know is coming into the shelter and what we know where we and other groups are able to get out. You know, part of what our shelter support team is talking with animal control about is data and how they can use that data to be more efficient and ways that, you know, programming can be better focused and they can be more efficient in their work. You know, there may be some opportunity there to be able to receive some data and help them to utilize that data. The Navajo Nation, unfortunately, like a lot of communities right now in the Southern United States, as we know, uh, very similar, where there a huge amount of the life-saving is from transport, just getting the animals out. Important though, I think, to never forget that that's a temporary solution. It's being done because there are too many pets there right now, not because those folks shouldn't have pets. We're not taking them away. Uh, they deserve pets. That community is just overwhelmed. The goal is always to get to a point where that community can sustain the life-saving on its own. Yes, of course. Like right now, yes, we're doing a lot of transports um, to other receiving groups that are not within the Navajo Nation, but that's not our ultimate goal. Our ultimate goal is that people are able to have their pets be able to access, you know, spay neuter wellness services, be able to, you know, be responsible pet owners, whatever that means for that community, kind of break that cycle of having so many that they feel overwhelmed, help the community to address those safety concerns and help animal control and the community partner with each other, right? Because ultimately we would love it if 
Um, we saw more adoptions out of the shelter into the back into the community, really, again, bringing those animals back to their homes or to new homes within that community and building those sustainable programs. It is going to take a lot of support to get to that point, isn't it? So for those folks with rescue organizations or individuals who aren't with a group, anyone, how can people support the work that's happening on the Navajo Nation? If there are groups out there that can take animals, you know, obviously uh, across the country, transport is going to be really challenging. But if you're kind of within our region, um, we're always looking for groups that are willing to take animals from the Navajo Nation. They have lots of lovely puppies and kittens and, and cats and dogs. We're always looking for receiving groups or folks that can help transport or you can donate to our programming and, and or to other programs that are in the area providing services to the Navajo Nation. Um, you know, we have opportunities if you are a little closer to us to be able to help directly. You know, we put out pleas for help at our spay, neuter, and vaccination clinics. We can't do that without our volunteers. Um, you know, we can always use uh, like in-kind type of donations. You know, we're always looking for things like flea and tick treatments and collars and leashes and just some basics, pet food. We, we often are able to provide um, you know, pet food to families that just need a little extra help. So, you know, there's lots of ways um, to help or help areas within your own community that maybe need a little extra help. That Like Navajo Nation is just one place that still needs some of these resources, but there's lots of places across the country that, that could use a little additional help. So um, I think you can help locally or you can help us um, through donation, through supporting programming, through um, coming out and helping directly, hands-on. Michelle, as always, I am in awe of you. You, uh, are, you do such incredible work and you're always so humble and kind and I'm not sure a whole lot of people can do what you do. So thank you and I hope that you're, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying isn't the right word, but that this is rewarding for you even though, uh, you know, as I've said, it has to be some of the most difficult work there is. I've been doing this work a long time. It's really bringing me back to that direct hands-on life-saving work, which is super challenging, but also super rewarding. I get to see the, you know, I, I feel like that I'm really making a difference every time I can engage with the community, that I can bring a service to the community, that we can connect with animal control and, and work with them um, on their programming. It, it's super rewarding for all the challenges that come with it. You know, I, I think it's well worth it. And I'm, I'm really enjoying this role and getting to know the community itself. So for every difficult case, there are always the good ones. So let's end this on a high. Sorry to put you on the spot, but uh, I want you to tell me a story. There was a family um, that reached out actually to another rescue group for help because she had a dog who, um, the dog's name is CJ, who had a big lump on her throat. This person loves her dog, um, reached out, said, look, I've been calling different vet clinics. They want, you know, this much money. I just don't have it. You know, she's a single mom, wasn't able to work right now. She was willing to make payments, but the clinics couldn't take payments. So she reached out to this other rescue group. And that rescue group at that time wasn't able to help, but they reached out to me and said, look, Michelle, this person reached out to us. Is there anything you can do? So I reached out to her. Um, we talked through what was going on with her dog. And I set up an appointment for her at a clinic that was pretty close by to her. She was able to take her dog in and it turned out her dog 
so she was worried because her dog's quality of life was being affected. She's like, my dog loves to go for walks and loves to run around. And she's just kind of laying around having a hard time eating. And so we got her in to be seen and um, it turned out to be an abscess. So the clinic sent her home with treatment. You know, that, that person was able to keep her dog. She sent me photos, thank yous from herself and her mom and her entire family for being able to help her dog. She sent me photos of her dog going for a walk again. And for me, that's what it's all about, right? Like she didn't want to give up her pet. She just, she wanted to do the right thing and get, get veterinary care. She called around. She tried to find a place that would take the payment plans. They couldn't. And so she kept reaching out. And, you know, for me, that's a success, right? We were able to, you know, pay for a vet visit. It turned out to be something pretty minor that could be treated. She treated it. Her dog's still with her. You know, they get to, you know, this, her dog is part of her support system and how she stays motivated, you know, when things get really challenging, you know, we, we don't want people to have to give up their pets just because they can't, you know, afford a vet visit or, you know, whatever it is. So to me, that's success. We were able to help with a resource and keep a pet in their home. We'd like to thank you for listening. And if you're working with indigenous communities, we want to hear about it. Send us an email, podcast at bestfriends.org. The team behind this program, Tawny Hammond, Amy Charlton, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.